Welcome to the Small Business Show. We created a platform to have candid and in-depth conversations with entrepreneur and business professional we find fascinating. Learn the tips and tricks for marketing, running, and growing a small business. The Small Business Show is the official podcast of Garuda Promo and Branding Solutions. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Small Business Show. This is Swire Ho, the promo guy coming out from the speaker. Today, my guest is Robert Kennedy III. He's the co-founder and president of Kinetic Communication. He's a serial entrepreneur and started his first business in 2001, an online music promotion portal with an internet radio station. He's an award-winning public speaker, corporate trainer, and an author. His book includes 28 Days to a New Me, Seven Ways to Know You Should Lead and Find Your Voice, 28 Secrets to Help You Speak Up and Speak Out. How are you doing today, Robert? Fantastic, Swire. Glad to be here, my friend. Would you please give us a little bit more about what you do and then, you know, very interested to find out more about, you know, how to speak with more confidence? Excellent. Well, Kinetic Communications is a training company. We work with leaders in organizations, middle managers on up, showing them how to present powerfully, how to communicate with confidence, how to really... how to really get critical messages across in a way that connects with their teams, with their people. And then we, on the small business side, we work with small business owners and coaches, entrepreneurs, consultants who need to be able to create greater visibility for themselves in their business. And we help them do that through the art of storytelling, especially on video. So wanted to ask you a question. I know that some of us are still doing virtual presentation. And, yeah. you know, right now it's almost December. We're going to have, you know, the gala, maybe company party. Some executive I know are still not comfortable uh, addressing in front of a camera. You know, they're used mm-hmm. to feeding off from the crowd with the energy. So what kind of advice would you have for those of us who are still trying to get over, you know, presenting virtually? Yeah, well, I don't know if we can get over presenting virtually. It's it's here to stay. It's here to stay. I mean, a lot of people are saying, yeah, we're waiting until things go back to normal, but normal is changed forever. So virtual presentations are here to stay. So it really comes down to awareness. It really comes down to intention and understanding. I know that when I speak into a microphone or when I speak into a screen, it's got some distance to travel. And over that distance, for some reason, my energy dissipates or the way that it comes across is not as engaging. And so I have to understand that up front. So what I tell managers, what I tell leaders to do, especially if you're on virtual, expect that your energy is going to dissipate and turn up the volume on yourself a little bit. So know that you're going to go in maybe with one and a half to two times as much energy as you would have in person. That's a good advice for yourself when you present, you know, in person and when you present virtually, do you practice them differently? Are there are there routines that you could share that, you know, can help us get into the song and get more energy? Yeah, I don't know that I practice them a lot differently. I think I'm different than some other presenters. I one of my superpowers is is high energy. And so I bring that to whatever stage I'm on. However, I know that it translates differently on screen than it does in person. So on screen, I may not necessarily use my voice. I may not get as loud with with certain things, but I recognize that my, my hands, my shoulders, my body language 
is much more crucial on stage because or on virtual because I'm in this box. And so what are the ways that I can really get people to see who I am, what I what I'm passionate about and what I'm energetic about? And so one of the things that I share with presenters is, you know, you may want to step back a little bit from the screen. A lot of times we are on our phones and we're kind of close up. And so people see our heads and maybe a little bit of our shoulders, but they don't see what our hands are doing. They don't see our bodies. So be aware of that. Get back a little bit. Space yourself so that they can really begin to engage with your body and your your emotions through the body language that you're evoking. Yeah, and you also talk about being more confident, bringing the energy. You know, how how does that affect communication and presentation? And, you know, for those of us, how would you advise us to get more confidence coming into the presentation? <laughs> well, I mean, I'll start with the confidence. So confidence is, there's a misnomer or a myth about confidence. A lot of people think that confidence is this switch that you flip on and off. Some people are confident and some people are not. Some people are born with it and some people are not. My definition of confidence is repetition with the expectation of success. So in order to get to confidence, you've got to repeat things. I think about it like my daughter. I taught her to drive a couple of years ago and she got her license when she was about 16, 16 and a half. And so the first few times that well, after she got her permit, she would get in the car and she would sit and she would say, okay, uh, light, let me turn the, the rear view mirror, the side view, let me do that. Let me turn the rear view. Let me press the gas just about this much so that I can control where I'm going. After a while, she didn't do that anymore. She got in the car, whoop, like one motion, and she's off down the highway. She's off down the road. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going too fast. That, that, that's what I'm thinking, right? But because she has repeated something, multiple times, she becomes more confident in how she executes it. So how do you become confident as a speaker? Well, first thing that you've got to do is speak. Got to do it multiple times. And as you do that, pay attention to how you project, how you make eye contact, how you give the information. Is it said in a way that allows people to know that you believe it and that you're passionate about it? So you got to pay attention to your voice. Am I speaking in monotone or am I modulating my, my pitch and my tone and my pacing so that people can get some pattern disrupts and some variation in, in what I'm doing? So paying attention to those things is going to be helpful to you. Yeah, I think it's, it's actually more difficult speaking virtually because if you hop onto an event, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. that if you don't engage with the audience, then, you know, they're, they, just, they can just lock off. Versus if yeah. you're in person, at least I drove all the way there, you know, maybe I, yeah. I probably got to stay for a little bit more. So I think, do you think it's more challenging virtually to grab the, the audience attention than in person? Because, you know, you can see how they react. Maybe you change your, your pitch, your tone for, for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I want to move away from more challenging. I want to just say you knowing what works is, okay. is different because the thing with, a virtual audience versus an in-person audience is if you're bad in both places, you're just, you're just, you're just bad, right? If you are, the, the, the difference with a, an in-person audience is they are trapped. They're, they're, they can't <laughs> escape. Right. They're, they're in their seats. So what does an in-person audience do? If you're bad in person, 
they don't shut their camera off. They shut their brains off. What they do is they start looking at their phones. They start swiping. They start doing all sorts of different things. They're not paying attention to you anymore. The very the difference is virtually they shut their cameras off. They shut their microphones off. They don't even have to be there and you don't know. All you're seeing is a screen with a name on it. Right? So it's it's not necessarily more difficult. It's just different. So when I'm virtual, much like when I'm in person, I ask myself the question, what can I do to engage and connect with my audience as soon as possible? How do I do that? One of the secrets that I use is I use something called a question <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> of my presentations, right? And, and, I, and I don't just ask any question. I ask a question that is designed to get their brains moving because there's this, this scientific trigger that our brains have. Let's go a little bit of brain science here. I used to teach biology when I was in, when I taught high school. Uh, our brains have this thing called instinctive elaboration, a response called instinctive elaboration, which simply means that when a question is asked, our brains can't help but answer it. And so if I can do something to hijack their brains pretty quickly, then I, I, I get a little bit more permission for some more time with them. So I've got to figure out what are some good questions. And if your audience is interested, and if, you, if you'd like me to share, I have a download called 21 Questions that you can use to spice up your speech okay. that I can share with them as well. And we can share that in the show notes a little bit later on. But if people want that, they can just simply text 21 questions, no spaces, no uppercases, just 21, 21, then the word questions to this number, 410-936-4049. And I'll send them a download immediately. Yeah, I think that that's a very good point, you know, because in, in sales, when you think about if you try to call someone. Mm-hmm. If you ask them a question, if you get them engaged in the first, I would say five seconds, the yeah. chances of you talking to that person longer is better than if you just, yes. you know, read off from a script and, you know, people start turning off, like you said. And and then, you know, now we, nowadays we're talking about social media, you know, you might mm-hmm. be on camera doing a live, like what we're doing now, or you're doing mm-hmm. a, a short video to present your company. Are you asking the right questions? So yes. I think, you know, definitely I, I'm going to check out those questions and, you know, the more engaged your audience are, you know, the better that to pay attention to what you have about to say. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, as, as I mentioned, you, you want to stay away from questions that are yes and no response right. as much as possible. So it's, what's a better question for me to say, how many have you ever felt sad? Yes, that's a that's a that's a question. But what if I said, do you remember the last time or what what was it like the last time you really felt or you really had a bad experience? Mm -hmm. What happens now is you begin to sift through your mental Rolodex. You begin to sift through all of the different situations and experiences in your brain. Your brain is firing. Your, your, Your neurons, your boutons are firing at this point. There's energy happening in your brain and you're searching for something. So a different engagement, a different level of engagement takes place. And so you want to do that to your audience. You want them to be able to be inside their own heads and connect with an experience rather than simply looking at you to entertain them. Okay. So I think I wanted to ask you a 
better question. You talk about, you know, you have a lot of influence. You know, I, I just visit your uh, YouTube channel, your website, you know, there are people engaging with your uh, speaking engagement. So I think the the way that we wanted to do, obviously, we know that by appearing in front of our uh, audience all the time, we get influence. But then you can say there might be a way for guarantee influence. Is that even possible? And how would you be able to do that? Yeah. Well, what what exactly is influence in the first place? So influence is not just showing up and showing up on screen. Influence is causing somebody to do something a little bit different than they would have done it before. Even if it is considering a new perspective, you know, they don't necessarily have to adopt your perspective, but getting them to consider a perspective, getting them to move in a different direction, getting them to act on something that they may not necessarily have planned on acting on before. So sometimes influence is simply being able to get somebody to think differently, adding a different perspective. So how can we guarantee influence? Well, we guarantee influence by sharing our thoughts and our perspectives in a way that connects with an experience that somebody has. If they can see the connection, they're going to respond differently. When people don't pay attention to what you have to say or when they ignore what you have to say, it's because they don't see how it connects with what they care about. Everybody's on this radio station, We FM, right? What's in it for me, <laughs> right? So, And so if we can get connected to what they care about, we up-level our chances at influence. I think that, you know, the, the follow-up question that I would ask is, you know, finding our uh, voice. And you also mentioned previously that owning a story. So what do you mean by that? What type of story do you think people would, do people really care what kind of story that we have or want to just care about our purpose? So how how would you explain that? We all do care about stories. So if you think about products that you have purchased, what is the reason that you purchase a lot of products or what are some of the things that you do when you're considering buying a product? So let's say you're trying to buy a TV for your home. We got, we're in the United States, we have Black Friday coming up, right? Yeah. We have Christmas coming up. A lot of, a lot of expenditures gonna, are going to take place. But as you're considering one TV over the other, what are some of the things that you do? You go to Yelp, you go to Google, you go to Amazon. And one of the things that you do is you read the reviews, you read the reviews to see the experience that people have had with that particular product. That experience is the story. Why are you interested in that? Because you want to see how that has responded in, in those people's situation or in, in their environment. And if it's responded that way for that person, maybe it will respond that way for me too. And so you, we, we look for reviews. We look for other people's stories in order to help us make decisions. Companies, marketing departments of companies depend on this. And so what are commercials? Quite often, commercials are stories, short stories of experiences, of situations that connect to something that you may have experienced so that it can influence your thinking or your response about that particular product. How would you advise us to dig deeper to actually present the story to our audience? Right. Well, you've you got to have stories. You've got to have stories that you can pull from 
pretty quickly. And one of the things that I recommend that people do is have a story vault. There is a gentleman by the name of Matthew Dixon. He wrote this book called Story Worthy. And I was reading that book several months back. I think it was last year. And as I read this book, I came to this practice where he said at the end of each day, he thinks about the day and he asks himself, what are the lessons that I learned today? What are the things that happened today that caused me to think differently? What experiences did I have today that caused me to smile, to be sad, or whatever emotion he experienced? And as you think about those experiences, you write down what the experience was. You think about the lesson, and then you write down what the experience was. So as you do that, sometimes you come up with three, four, five short stories. It doesn't have to be long. It could literally be, you know what? At dinner, I learned that I did not like cauliflower, <laughs> right? Why, why, why did you learn that? Well, I don't know. My, my wife was cooking this thing and I, I saw this cauliflower and it looked like it was this little white broccoli. And I said, hmm, let me try to taste it. And so I tasted it and it was not good. And she said, why don't you try to put some sauce on it? I'll put some buffalo sauce on it. Maybe it'll, look, it'll be like vegetarian chicken wings. And I tried it and it didn't work. I didn't like it. So that's a lesson. That's a little story that I have. And I can share that for whatever reasons connect with that story. I may be talking to somebody later who said that they felt deceived by something or they felt like they thought something was appearing one way or they purchased something or something. It was they, they were involved in a bait and switch. And so I say, you know what, man, just last week I saw this stuff on my plate. And my wife told me it tasted good. She told me it was a little bit better than broccoli. And she said it would be good if I tasted, if I put buffalo sauce on it. And man, I put a buffalo sauce on it. It was terrible. So now I've shared a story with them that connected with their situation. And if there's a lesson that I can pull from it or an inspiration that I can pull from it after that, they're more likely to listen because I was able to connect the story. So we've got, we've got to collect our stories. We've got to have a mechanism in our space to collect our stories somehow. Yeah, that, that got me thinking while you're mentioning the, the cauliflower and the <laughs> buffalo sauce. If you have a good story that people actually like and engage and admire, you can actually be more expensive than your competitors. So, you know, yeah. give you an example. I like ice cream, right? You know, I could go yeah. to the supermarket, buy a big old tub for, you know, $5 or less. But then sometimes I will go to our local ice cream place. Why? Because I like this story. They have the same recipe since the 1950s and they still hold true with uh, the recipe until now. It does yeah. taste better. I like the story. So whenever I get the chance and I want to have ice cream, I'll go to that local store, which two times the cost than if yeah. I go to a supermarket and buy ice cream. But Really like and engage your story. So if you are a business owner out there, why why do you do what you do? And you know, yeah. because I think commercials, they talk about the features and benefits. Mm -hmm. You know, we have Absolutely. all these uh, features that we have, but then people actually buy the story. You like a certain uh, clothing brand behind the story, they use recycled material. They always treat their employees fairly. Then you you're likely to pay a little bit more. And you're yeah. more loyal to that brand compared to if I just go to, let's say, Costco, I just buy what, whatever cheapest that they have on sale at that season. Would you yeah. would you yeah. agree to that? Absolutely. In, in 2006, there was this New York Times magazine journalist. His name was Rob Walker. And he decided that he was going to run an experiment on the power of storytelling. 
And okay. so he went and he went to different yard sales and he bought about $200 worth of just random items from yard sales, plastic bananas, old wooden mallets, um, you know, little, little horses, different things, nothing that had any real intrinsic value. And so he got 200 of his friends who were authors and he put each of these items on eBay. So there was this one thing, this one item, a small horse's head. It was just like a plastic horse's head. He put this on eBay and he had paid 99 cents for it at a yard sale. And so he asked one of the one of the authors to attach a story to this this plastic horse's head. He ended up selling it for $62.95, right? Paid 99 cents for it. So if you, I mean, what's the percentage increase on that? So overall, of the $200 that he spent, he's put all these items on eBay, attached stories to all of them. And he spent $200 and ended up making about $8,000. Wow. Just because he asked his friends to add stories to each of the items that he put for sale. People buy emotionally from yeah, time they to do. time. And sometimes people just buy emotionally. If you can find and connect with the audience who is attached to the product, you know, they're, they're willing to pay more than yeah. what it normally would cost. Absolutely. I mean, I look at companies like, like Toyota, right? Toyota, when I was a kid, Toyota was just Toyota, right? They had a Corolla. They had a bunch of different cars. They had Camry. When I, in the 90s, Toyota said, you know what? We are going to create a different brand. And they added a different logo. They slapped an L on some of their cars and they changed some of the interior a little bit. So they went from cloth to leather. They went, they added maybe uh, a better screen in some areas. And they said, you know what? We're going to call this our luxury division. And they, they called it Lexus, right? The engine of the cars were still the same. The frames that the cars were made of were still the same. The, the paint was, was still the same, right? The wheels, in many cases, were still the same. Uh, the, a lot of the stuff that was in the car was the same. But what did they do? They attached the story of luxury to this brand and said, hey, you sit inside of a Lexus, people are going to look at you different. You're going to get a different step up. You're going to get more respect in the world because you are and you own a luxury brand. It's no longer a Toyota. It's a Lexus. <laughs> and, and now you're charging a whole lot more because you've attached a different story to this vehicle that really is not that much improved. Okay, I really like to tie all this in together. The goal that speakers want to have, one of the goal is to get the attention of the audience. So we talk mm-hmm. about the confidence, finding a good story to know if you're presenting in person and virtual. So yeah. how would you advise someone who wanted to get better in speaking? How do you truly get the attention of, the, of, of an audience? Well, the first thing for any speaker who wants to get better is not focusing on your speaking skills. It's focusing on who the audience is. If you know who they are, if you know what drives them, if you know what they like, if you know why they're there, if you know what challenges they're struggling with, that gives you a step up because you can then connect 
with their challenges. You can speak to them in a way that says, hey, I understand your problem. I understand the thing that you're struggling with. I understand the, the challenge that you have. And here is how it feels. Here is how it felt when I went through it. And if you can connect with the audience in that way, because you know who they are and you understand them, you understand their makeup, then they're going to be much more connected to you than a speaker who is who has been to Toastmasters and went all the way up to distinguished Toastmasters and has all of the awards who doesn't connect with them. So connecting with your audience, knowing who your audience is, is the number one thing that I would say for speakers to work on. I thought about people who try to present ideas to me because there are, there are those of us who likes to do research before we mm-hmm. hop on a call or do a presentation. But then there are still, uh, you know, people that just randomly present whatever that they have in front of them. So right. I, I had the experience where a supplier, you know, trying to have us carry one of the product. And then they actually connect me with the vice president of sales, which is like right. high level executive. So and they didn't ask me any question at all. And I actually right. are familiar with the product. I've actually used it. They didn't yeah. even ask. They just dump all the information to me, show me all the slides, and then at the end, and ask any questions. So at the end, we decided not to carry that product. Has they yeah. asked me a question before we start? Have, just one question. Have you used that product before? Wow. And I will be talking. They will be learning a lot of variable information from me in, in yeah. the process. But then instead, they unload all the information. I think a lot of not so great presentation and then videos that we tune out are, you don't, we don't even care or think about what the audience want to learn about. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And if we don't know who they are, then we have to work much harder or we make the audience work much harder to tune into what we're trying to share. And when an audience has to work really hard, they don't want to do what you have to say. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They don't want to move to action because you just made them work really hard. <laughs> so make, make it easy for your audience. Get to know who they are first. Yeah, especially, you know, our attention span, you know, if you're if we're talking about social media, you know, trying to make mm-hmm. any presentation, try to grab people's attention. I think if they give you five seconds, that's very generous. You know, if they yeah. if right away, they don't like your voice, they don't like what they see, they, you know, tune out or skip. Yeah, yeah. You're constantly asking your audience for permission. And so how do you how do you gain 10 more seconds of permission? How do you gain a minute more of permission from them. That's what we've got to constantly work on. And it's not that we are the experts and we're giving them good information. It's that we've got to figure out what they want, what what drives them, and again, gain their permission continually. And once we do that, and once we figure out how to do that consistently, then we're more likely to be better salespeople. We're more likely to be better presenters. We're more likely to be better communicators, period. So, Robert, if the listener wanted to get in touch with you to find out more about your work and, you know, possibly ask for more advice, what would be the best way to reach out to you? I am really easy to find. I'm Robert Kennedy 3 on all social media. Find me on LinkedIn as Robert Kennedy 3. The number three, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all Robert Kennedy 3. And my website is robertkennedy3.com. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. And if people are, again interested in the download that we shared earlier, I do respond personally to those. So they can just text 21 questions to 
404-998-4049. And we'll share the download and I'll respond personally. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming on the show. Learn a lot uh, from you today. Thanks, Swire. This has been fantastic. I appreciate you having this platform.